What is your mission? What's your mission? Should you choose to accept it? Have you accepted a mission? Uh, As a Christian, I think the argument that I'm going to try to make today in the next couple weeks is that we are called to live lives on mission. We're called to live on mission. So trying to define what that mission is and how we can accomplish it. Maybe for, you know, I mean, we're at the, it's December 31st. Tomorrow's a new year. New beginning. All that jazz, whatever. Maybe you're into that stuff. Maybe you're into New Year's resolutions. You know, I I mean, I would argue that having your team win the Super Bowl is not a New Year's resolution. But that's just me because you have absolutely no control over that. As much, and I've said this before, as much as we want to think that we have some sort of part to play in some professional team and they're winning or losing. I mean, let's be honest. I just, I just don't think that's probably the case. And so for most of us, the New Year's resolution should be something that you actually have control of in some capacity. Like something that you can, you know, have a part to play in. Um, Not cheering. Yeah. And I mean, you know, so if your New Year's resolution is to, you know, cheer harder for the Cowboys, I mean, you would be mistaken because it's just a useless endeavor um, that many of us have found for the past 30 years. But um, <laughs> regardless, moving on from that, you know, when you think about what part are you playing? What, what can you accomplish, not just by yourself, but maybe as a, a part of an actual team that you're on? What, what mission have you been called to as a Christian? What maybe can you renew yourself in this year? And what the Lord has called each one of us to and has called us to together. And so um, what we're going to do this week and the next two weeks is kind of spend a little bit more time talking about mission. So whenever we started meeting here in this space in June, we went uh, three weeks through community. Because the three words that we use to try and define ourselves as a church are gospel, community, and mission. And I've preached several times um, on the gospel. And really, every week, hopefully, there is the gospel present, clearly articulated and seen in what's being preached and what's being taught. And then I've also specifically taught on that. And sometimes we'll use uh, you know, God, man, Christ response as sort of four ways to think about the gospel story, the gospel message. God, who is God? What has God done in this world? He's the creator. Man, you look at who we are. We're sinful people. We have ruined a lot of stuff. You think about how does God and man become reconciled? Well, that's where Christ steps in. God sent Jesus. That's what we celebrated last week, Christmas. And then it requires a response from you. To actually receive, believe the gospel, it, you can't just let it sit out there in the open as, as a matter of fact for the world in general. Like it needs to be something that you believe, that you receive, that you take into as now the, the focus of your life. How you are able to live, how you are able to be reconciled to God. So we've talked about the gospel a lot in the past. You can look at previous sermons and like I said hopefully every week you've get you know some level of depth in the gospel message 
Then we've talked about community. Again, I mentioned that when we started being here in this space, we talked about community for a few weeks. We talked about being authentic. We talked about being dependent on one another. We talked about being missional and how we live with one another. So let love be genuine. We looked at Romans 13 a lot in that and how we're called to love one another. How, how can we show love toward one another? By this, people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. How, how the church locally, people that you interact with, fellow Christians, how you love them is going to be a picture, a display of the gospel for those on the outside. But it's also going to be a, a, a caring for and, and a way that you are able to live out the gospel with fellow believers by giving, by receiving, by using your gifts, by, being, by benefiting from other people's gifts, being built up. So we proclaim the gospel, we build each other up in community, and then we send each other out on mission. We live lives on mission. What is our mission? What is your mission? It's kind of how we started, right? I mean, what, what mission are you living? Have you actually accepted the call to live on mission? So many times, if you're like me and you grew up in church, you thought, oh, you have to feel a special call or receive some special word from the Lord in some interesting, particular way in order to be called on the mission field or or to live as a missionary. Like this is for some unique set of people who get some special, unique calling and that's for them to go and to do what the rest of us are giving money for them to go and do. And there's nothing wrong with sending out missionaries who go to different parts of the world and proclaim the gospel, who use their skills even, like the Millers, who we support as a church who are using the skills that God has given to them to have a platform to be able to build relationships and to proclaim the gospel. And we support them in that work. And we give glory to God for how he has equipped them and gifted them and how he has allowed us to partner with them to do that. And, and we're grateful for that partnership, that opportunity that we have together to do that. But I think when it comes to the idea of being a missionary, living on mission, right? I mean, that's what a missionary does. They have a mission. They're accomplishing that mission. That's a missionary, right? That word's right in there. If you see yourself as a missionary, which I would argue you're supposed to, then how is it that you should live? What is it that you should be doing? Where is it that you should be doing it? And so... How we're going to define it in this week and the next two weeks in this living life on mission is sort of the spheres in which we live on mission. So those three spheres that we're going to divide it up into are your home. You live on mission intentionally in your home. Then just around your life, all the, all the other things that are not particularly inside your home, but around your life, around your work, around your school, around your everyday activities, your typical standard 
hey, what can I be a part of personally, actively, on a continual basis in order to proclaim the gospel in my sphere of influence generally in my life? So at home, around your life, and then the third one is going to be around the world. So how can we be a part of God's mission that extends beyond our physical reach, that extends beyond ourselves to the broader work of God in this world? So today we're going to focus on our work at home. Before we get there, though, I think we need to get to what exactly is our mission. Like, what is the mission? It'd be be wrong, I think, if we didn't actually define what our mission was, besides what I'm just saying, where it's proclaiming the gospel and then building each other up in community. What is our mission? Where do we get the idea of mission? I mean, I could use a text like Matthew 28, the Great Commission. If you've been in church for any period of time, hopefully you've heard it over and over again, as, as I did growing up, and why I've always had a knowledge that the Lord has given to me, that he's shown to me through his people, through his word, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So what's our mission? The Great Commission, again, that word mission's in there. What have you been committed to do? What are you expected to do? What is your life supposed to be centered around as a Christian? Going and making disciples. Baptizing them. Teaching them to observe. So making disciples. I mean, Matthew 28, Acts 1, we just spent a year going through the book of Acts. Not all of you were with us that entire time, but you can go back and just read Acts chapter 1. How does the story of the church Going into the world begin. Well, it's Jesus before he ascends to the Father saying, Hey, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So you're going to witness to the resurrection. You're going to witness to the truth of who I am and what I've done and what I'm still doing in this world. So a witness, a proclamation of... Jesus Christ, of his work, and of who he is. Both of these things, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, give with us that we're not just doing this by ourselves. We're doing this with Christ himself, with his spirit that he gives to us. So Matthew 28, go and make disciples Baptizing them, teaching them to observe. And lo, I am with you always, right, as the you know, old style says. I'm not sure lo is in, I don't know, I've looked at my ESV, Matthew 28 lately. I just always memorize it. You know, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. He doesn't say, good luck, and kick us out the door, and, you know, hey, you know, I hope you figure it out. He says, no, I'm with you in this. I'm sending you out, but I'm with you. When he tells the disciples, the apostles in Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're not doing this on your own accord. 
You don't have the power to do it by yourself. You need the Spirit. You need His wisdom. You need Him to go before you and to work in the hearts of people. And even while you're speaking, your words aren't going to be effective in and of themselves. The Spirit is going to be the one who actually opens up people's ears to hear, their eyes to see, their hearts to be softened, to receive the Word. You're not doing this on your own, but you are doing something. You're called on a mission to do something. What is it? It's to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses. So that's where we come to Ephesians chapter 2. And you're like, how does this have anything to do with Ephesians chapter 2? Well, hopefully we'll get there. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read just so we get some context in verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. Says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Most people probably wouldn't associate Ephesians chapter 2 and these verses that we just read with a call of the Great Commission. But it is just an example from someone other than Jesus himself who is saying, this is what the Lord has revealed to me, to give to you, church, that you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is a wonderful truth. And I'm going to talk about it for chapters. And he does. And it's amazing and wonderful. Look at what the Lord has done. The Lord has done this in your life. He has brought you from death to life. He has sent Jesus to bear the burden of your sin, to pay the penalty that you deserve for walking away from God, for running away from God, for spitting in God's face, for saying, I know better than you. I desire these things more than I desire you, God. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, a life that was in tune with God, a life that said, I'm going to give glory to God in all aspects of how I live and what I do. I'm going to follow the law of God as it's been set. I'm going to love other people to the point of giving up of myself. I'm going to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, all my strength, all my might, all my soul, with all that I am. I'm going to follow that command that we read a few minutes ago in Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to do that. When no one else has, I'm doing that. And I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to give. I'm going to give of my energy till I'm tired. I'm going to heal people until I've got a 
go off on my own because I just can't physically handle it anymore. I'm going to give and I'm going to give and I'm going to give. And he gave to the point of death on the cross to pay for that sin of ours. And he was raised to new life to show that he has power over sin and death. That his death actually accomplished something on our behalf. God has done this for us in Christ Jesus. And we are made alive together with Christ, as he says here in Ephesians 2. But if all we think that the Christian life is, is to receive this gift from God, then we are missing out on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We have not been saved by our own works, and we will not be saved because of our works. But if we are saved by God's work alone, in Christ, by grace through faith, then that means something for our lives. We are called then, if we have received that, to do something with it. We have been called to live a certain way, a different way. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were walking alienated from God, like the rest of mankind, doing whatever we wanted to do, however we wanted to do it. But now that we have been brought into the family of God, now that God has saved us, what does that mean? What does that lend itself to? Do we just receive that and then sit there and soak it in and never do anything with it? Is that okay? Do we just come on Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons or whenever during the week or once a month or whatever and just say, I'm happy to receive some more good sounding stuff. I'm happy to just sing a little bit. I'm happy to, you know, just sit there. Or have we been called to actually do something? So we've been saved by God's work alone, period, or exclamation point, you know, full stop. Now, Paul says, immediately afterwards, we are his workmanship. God has done this work. He has made us a work, to do a work. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So whenever I say that we need to live lives on mission, that we need to do something, that we need to work, what I'm saying is not exactly explicitly what Paul is saying. If you want to know what Paul is saying as he builds this out, read the rest of Ephesians. And we're going to read some of it. And what we're going to focus on is some of what he talks about in chapters 5 and 6. When we talk about... What does it mean to do good works, to live on mission at home? Just as an example, as a starting point. First off, I think we need to understand that we're not just supposed to sit and receive. But, I mean, that is a part of it. We are supposed to know God more. We, we are supposed to, to grow ourselves. We, we are 
individually supposed to mature. He talks about that in chapter 4. Like he's given the apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, the teachers, evangelists, so that we would attain to mature manhood. Like so we would grow as individuals, but then that we would also grow together. And as we grow as individuals, again, that's not meant to just stop on us. And it's not just meant to stop on the church family. That's meant to go into our homes. And so he starts in chapter 5, in the second half of chapter 5, talking about wives and husbands. Wives, how are you supposed to act with your husbands? Husbands, what are you supposed to do with your wives? So first off, in your home, this is supposed to mean something. You're supposed to be intentional about how you live at home. When Nathaniel was praying earlier, he talked about being passive. Talked about just sort of that idea of not doing something with an intention. We're supposed to be intentional. And if there's a a word that we need to keep on our minds when we think about living on mission, it means there's an intentionality. That we can't just let things happen because if we just let things happen, not that we can control everything, but we have to realize that letting things happen means anything can happen. And, And that we're not seeking to try to be honest with the truth of why God has gifted us the way that he has and and how we're supposed to live that out, how we're supposed to flesh it out. If we just, uh, you know, oh, you know, thoughts and prayers, you know, I would just, you know, hope, hope everything goes well for you. Well, yeah, but we can take action that seeks the benefit and welfare of somebody else. And so if we're gonna start somewhere, it needs to start in our house with the people nearest to us. If you're married, that's your husband, that's your wife. So where does mission begin? It begins, husbands, by loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Like Christ did for me, I'm supposed to do for her. Like Christ did for you, you're supposed to do for him. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And, and this is something that I think is integrally important in living on mission. Understanding what our mission is. Understanding who God is. Again, if we're going to grow, we're going to try to help other people to grow. We have to know what we're growing in. How, how is it that we serve our wives? How is it that we help them to learn, to understand to move forward, to grow into maturity? Well, it, it centers around the word. That's what he says. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What did Jesus do? Did he just do a bunch of actions? I mean, he did. He did a bunch of actions. I mean, so many so that, you know, the gospel writers are like, if we put all this in the books, there'd be more than could be held in any library. This world couldn't contain all the stuff that Jesus did. He did a lot of actions. 
But some of his actions were words. He spoke truth. And that truth has been recorded for us. He spoke the truth and said, what has been written about me in the Old Testament is true. He validified. He, he said, yes, this is God's truth to us in the Old Testament. And now I'm giving us a continuation of that truth. I'm fulfilling that truth. And what I'm telling you to do, what you've misunderstood in the past, now understand as I give it to you. And live in it. He gave us his word. He legitimized his word. He said, this is true. Walk in it. So there's an intentionality based on the word of God. So how is it that we're supposed to live on mission at home? Well, it's really no different than living on mission anywhere else. But I think it's a good place to start with the husband-wife relationship. And it centers around the Word of God. How do you live intentionally at home? Well, have the Word of God be the center of what it is that you're saying. Actually think that God, the Spirit of God, can use His Word to accomplish His purposes. Like, Do you believe that? Do you want that to happen? If we're going to live on mission, we have to know what the mission is. Where do we get the mission? From his word that's been recorded and handed down to us. Go and make disciples. Here's the way in which you should live. You've got a new life in Christ. These are the old ways that you shouldn't walk in them anymore. These are the new ways in which you should live. So whenever you talk to your spouse and when you encourage them, what do you encourage them with? Well, you should encourage them with the word and say, nah, I'm not sure that's the best way to express ourselves in this instance. Maybe God has taught us another way. And I know this is difficult, but even like David in the Psalms, even the one that we read earlier, when he's literally hiding in a cave, you know, afraid for his life, otherwise he wouldn't be hiding in a cave. He's saying, all this time, Lord, let your glory fill the earth. Like, let it fill my life. Let me sing praises to you with the lyre and harp. Let me make a melody in my heart with a song in my life to worship you, to honor you, to praise you. And the truth, knowing that even in the midst of this difficult circumstance, even though it's hard and I don't know exactly how to handle it, I don't know what's going to come out of this. I can trust you. And if you say to live in this way, then I want to encourage that person who's nearest to me to live in that way too. So it's, it starts there in that relationship. And it centers around the word. And then he continues on at the beginning of chapter 6. And so where else is it? Well, it's with kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So living on mission begins at home. It begins 
with your spouse. It flows into those that you're in charge of, those that you are in, that you're caring for, your kids. Are you bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Kids, you know, if you're a child, your mission right now is to obey your parents and the Lord. You know, you're thinking, oh, I'm a kid. I'm young. What am I supposed to do? I can't even drive yet. Or, you know, I, or I can't drive by myself, you know, or whatever situation you're in, maybe. You say, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live on mission? I can't go anywhere. I mean, my parents won't let me walk down the street because it's dangerous, you know, because there aren't any sidewalks around here. Um, it's totally true and strange compared to other places where some of us have lived. <laughs> <laughs> like, wh- where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? I don't have control of any of this. Well, it can begin, and it ought to at least center around, hey, if, if my parents are trying to teach me how to live in the Lord, maybe I should listen to them. Like, maybe I should be able to trust that I can be patient. And while I'm still waiting to be able to get my freedoms or to, to grow in my freedoms, to grow in my skills, to grow in the gifts that God has given to me, to be able to express those in ways that I can be in control of, that I can go out and do this, that, that I can decide, hey, I'm going to go here and do that. I can't do that yet, but so for right now, I'm trusting that, hey, what my parents are telling me to do and how they're telling me to treat my siblings and how I ought to think and to learn about the goodness and grace of God and to just rest in that and to have my joy not come from the things of this world and not from my toys and not from my books, but from Jesus. My joy comes from Jesus. My joy comes from knowing that he loved me and gave himself up for me. And that's what my parents are teaching me. And so I'm going to just rest in that. And then as adults, it's, as parents, if we're not actively, intentionally speaking the word of God to our kids, we're missing our first and foremost duty. When Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, you know, don't be afraid to get you some elders. Don't be afraid to appoint leaders in the churches. One of the things that he talks about is having men who actually run their house in a way that honors the Lord. Like, do your children love you and respect you? Have you taught them to love the Lord? Or have you just let it be something that, ah, you know, it should happen. They should catch it from the general air of whatever is going on in my life. They should, yes, but there should also be an intentionality because you can't just expect them to understand everything that's vague and generalized. Be specific. Say, this is what the Lord has said. Encourage them to walk in faith and not just to, ah, you know, well, pick your head up and try again next time. Do better. I mean, speak gospel truth into their hearts and in their lives. 
And that's what Deuteronomy 6 was about. That's why we read it earlier. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Even in the Old Testament, how are we supposed to live as believers, as adults, with people who are in our care? Well, when you get up and when you lie down and everywhere in between, when you walk on the way, when you're sitting in the house, when you're hanging out, any and every moment is an opportunity for you to be intentional about proclaiming the word of God to your children and your children's children. And, and that mission ought to be central in your heart. Your life ought to be focused on the fact that this is a responsibility that I have, the Lord has given to me to bring up the people in my house in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, so what is what is your mission? Well, it's to go and make disciples. How far do you have to go? You don't have to go far to start out. You don't have to go anywhere. Just go home. Where do you make disciples? Well, go home. Go home and make disciples. Number one. That's not all, right? We've got next week and the week after it. But number one, that's where it begins, I think. No reason for it not to begin there. And every reason, Old Testament and New Testament, for it to begin there. Go home and make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for just the encouragement that we have to trust you and to trust that your word can accomplish what you set it out to do, that it's not going to return void. But Lord, we, um, we've seen in our lives that um, we're not in control. That even if we are faithful to do what you've called us to do, we're faithful to proclaim the gospel in our house, that it doesn't always end up with our kids believing. It doesn't always end up with us sitting around the fire singing kumbaya. Sometimes there's just, there are relational difficulties. And so, Lord, would you give us your strength would you help us to to put on your armor to to trust you in the midst of all these difficulties that we face in this life that that we know that our faithfulness is not in vain that we know that we can always trust your faithfulness toward us and that your will is going to be done, and, and so we want to see it done, and we want to be a part of seeing it done. So, Lord, would, would you show us some grace? Would you help us to be faithful when, when we tend to be faithless? When we look at the results and we don't see what, what we think ought to happen or what we've worked so hard and diligently to happen, that even in the midst of that, that our faith would remain in you trusting that 
you know what's best and that you have these things planned out for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.